Hello, everybody, and welcome back to BYOB, Bring Your Own Blockbuster Podcast. Hello, Ben Haynes. How are you doing, Hello, mate? How are you? I'm good, thank you. How What's are you gods? enjoying this this glorious British summertime where we're experiencing? I escaped it, mate. I have just got back yesterday from Malaga. So uh, I with the lads or I went with men, yeah. With some other men and we God, this is how old I am. We play golf. Oh, so you weren't there to have it large. Like I, I didn't tear it up. I sort of folded it up. Yeah, like sort of eased into. I had some I bits, say but you, like you hit not. Par. Should we say that? Eh? Yeah. Do you use a, an appropriate <laughs> metaphor? Yeah, yeah, there yeah. You I, go. I had some beers, but it, I was definitely not. It was definitely not a, a sizable session. I just am like, I do really enjoy the kind of like competitive. Well, actually. We know that I enjoy the competitive element because you and I went to a mutual friends leaving do <laughs> at the Formula oh, One yeah, simulator did. and you took this picture of me that I was like absolutely dialed. What, <laughs> like I was, because what I liked about that, the, the reason why I took that, why it amused me particularly is because on the first round, I think everyone was a bit like, oh, this is going to be like sort of Mario Wait, can Kart. you set the scene? Because for people who haven't been to the Formula One thing, you should tell them what it's like. Sure. Yeah. So imagine you're you're in St Paul's and you you kind of walk into this just nondescript door and suddenly walk into this what I would describe as like an adult arcade. And I don't mean there's anything dodgy going on in there, <laughs> but there's a big bar. Like there's a lot of suits basically because it's right in the heart of the city. But pretty much everywhere the eye can turn to, you will see huge kind of half. F1 car type rigs set up in front of huge immersive screens. Um, as everyone you know comes and plays this F1 kind of simulator, and I think at first when we when we went there for for Tommy's leaving do, I think everyone had this air of like oh it's going to be a bit like Mario Kart or something like that. Beep, beep. <laughs> and then when you're actually driving it right, it's, it is a simulator. It is this F1 simulator, and I think on the first round when everyone's getting to grips with it. I looked over and you were kind of like having a bit of a laugh. You were like, ha look, you know, I've overtaken Tommy. And and then by the end of like your first go, I'm guessing you were suddenly like, oh, that's how it works. This is how it works. <laughs> because the picture I took was on your second go when you were suddenly like the laughing and the joking. That was out the window. Ben Haynes was there to race. Like. And it was horrible. Because like, and do you know what? I think, I think the picture you took at the time was like, I was winning in the race and like there's this weird feeling which we will come to or, or in Terminator of people like chasing you down oh, and horrible. you're like get, get away from me and you don't mm -hmm. want to mess up a single bit so you're like super focused but we've also got quite like even like the some of the younger people in the group in our group of mates like people are like into it they like yeah. F1 and they know what they're doing and I am not a I'm not a, like, I've been go-karting lots of times. I'm crap at go-karting. So this one time I was winning, like, my eyes were not moving an inch from it. It was, but it was good crack. I would recommend it if you're I, looking I, for something to do. I had the, uh, the Italian lad on my team who just, as the race was going on, we're talking about being competitive. <laughs> shouting and like swearing ah, in Italian ah. behind me. Oh, come on, mate. Come on, mate. You know, I'm like, all right, fucking hell. You know, like... 
No, you've like got you to turn like that, mate. You know, all that. And I'm like, like you were literally driving for Ferrari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I can hear him obviously talking to Tommy, always saying things like, you know, certain curse words that I think we all know in Italian as well. But he's yeah. obviously been like, this guy is effing useless. Do you know what I mean? Like, in Italian, like, who the hell put this geezer on my team? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like, he is absolutely useless. Um, but yeah, but that was. Crack, though. Yeah, it was it was quite interesting. Yeah, um, mate, I need to ask you something else. You've mm. got? Do you have a, a sponsored walk coming? <laughs> I do, I do. I'm doing the uh, the mighty hike, Macmillan's mighty hike, all along oh, the kind that. of Dorset coast. We've opted for the half marathon option because I do quite a lot of hiking, do quite a lot of walking. So this is about twelve and a half miler. It's not a, it's not outside my wheelhouse that, um, but. It's quite, uh, I've not walked this one before and it's supposed to be particularly challenging because there's like three very steep climbs and, well, three very steep peaks, which as anybody who does a bit of walking will know, presents of it that, you know, both going up and coming down is quite a challenge. So it's supposed to be pretty tough, um, but yeah, we're, we're doing that for Macmillan Cancer. So yeah, we'll put links in bios and stuff. If you can support me, that would be great. 100%. What a great cause as well, Macmillan but are I'm not, the bee's I, knees. I'm not the only one that's been raising money for charity though, am I? Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> Alex Purdell. Um, speaking of golf, so our producer Purdy, and again, we should put this link at the bio, and I still haven't donated, which is pathetic of me. Purdy, I'm think, sorry. Have I, I promise I, I will. I, I think I have. Maybe I haven't. Um, sorry but, if I haven't. No, but I will I will get round to it and we'll encourage lots of other people to do it. But um, Purdy did the, the 72 holes of golf, like basically cramming in four rounds of golf in a day, which was absolutely mental, like absolutely mental. Um, and I think he started at like 5 a.m. and managed to finish sort of maybe 10 p.m. or something like that in the evening, um, which is super, super impressive. So well done, Perds. And we'll put nice a done. link to that in uh, in on social as well so uh, people can donate. Um, and then the, the big one, mate, have you been to the cinema this week? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked because I have been to the cinema this week, Ben Haynes. Talk to me. I uh, I went to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Um, <laughs> Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg's reincarnation of the, which we say that I guess the 80s, 90s franchise. And I mean, there have been several reboots down the years. Wait, was that the original, like the original kind of like IRL in real life, geezers in suits. What was that? Was that in the 90s? That was 1990. Okay, because I remember, like, I kind of got memories of watching that as a kid. It was yeah. quite a cool thing, right? Yeah, it, it was, was cool. Like, it's quite edgy as that. well as, as for, like, kids. It was one that, like, you know, your mum would probably ask one of the other mums, is it all right for kids kind of thing, isn't it, you know? and Maybe, uh, maybe dad could come with you to watch this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but so that, yeah, this, uh, I mean, we've had Michael Bay try to like reboot it a few years ago, pretty unsuccessfully. I don't really think he kind of got the, the hang on it. Um, but Seth Rogen here, as he calls himself, I think he calls himself perennial teenager. Seth Rogen seems to be the mastermind behind it. I'm going to just quickly, cause I don't want to, there's actually four writers on um this movie right i now. just can, in my head i'm just going teenage mutant ninja Turtle. Yeah. that was the that was from the the cartoon though right the old cartoon yeah and what was the name of the baddie was it was it shredder 
Shredder, yeah. And then you also had Kang, remember? That funny, like, little brain alien thing. Oh, my God, yeah. And then uh, Splinter was the, like, the... That's their dad, their dad. Yeah. And and is he in it? Yeah, he is. So we we got four writers on this. Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, Jeff Rowe, Dan Hernandez, and Benji Samet. So... This is essentially a complete reboot of the franchise. They are bringing it to a new audience now. Um, so they, they take you through the whole idea that these were normal little turtles and a normal rat once upon a time until some ooze spilled into the sewer, got on these creatures, and they turned into these large mutants. Um, what the, the, the film in particular follows is... Uh, a story uh, there's kind of there's two narratives at play right you've got the four turtles who i would say out of any of the previous incarnations of this and i'm talking even the originals what this does superbly is to capture the fact that they are teenagers like they actually really feel and that sounds like quite reductive it sounds quite silly but the fact that it's in the title but previously, like you said, blokes in suits, they always just felt like blokes, right? Who would, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. They said stuff like cowabunga and all this type of stuff, but they still just felt like adults. They've really captured like the idea that the turtles are teenagers, that they're trying to learn, that they're kind of going through puberty, that they want to be like normal kids. And what they've, what they've done quite well here is create this side story of the, of the emotional link that, that that these lads have as as teenagers as kids as feeling like outsiders there's a good kind of link there for any teenager you know it's an awkward time of life i can imagine for any teenager who is watching this they probably feel like oh i'm an outsider too kind of thing so i think they've covered that off quite nicely um but the the main sort of the villain arc of this is a character called superfly voiced by ice cube who does a, actually a really fantastic job like he's he's I don't know if he's ever been a voice actor before, but he's he's brilliant in this role as his character, um, who is another one of these kind of experiments who was brought to life by the Doctor who's created the Ooze because he was lonely. He wanted to create himself a family, so he decided to turn all these different creatures into people that he could talk to as a family. Superfly was his first creation. Um, but the establishment, the police, the whatever they are, um, this kind of secret shady government organization, try to shut down this project, and they end up, you know, killing the killing the doctor, the father of Superfly, and all these other creatures. Bebop and Rocksteady, as everybody will remember as well from the old cartoons and the old movies, the Rhino and the Boar um, are in there, as well as a host of other characters. Leatherhead, I think it's called. He's voiced by Rose Byrne. I only found out afterwards in the credits. Um, so, yeah, they, and the story sort of follows the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trying to deal with life as, you know, as teenagers. What does their life look like? Are they going to live in a sewer forever? They want to be adults too. You know, they want to not be adults. They want to be like normal adults. They want to live in the real world. They want to live above ground. Um, and also trying to stop this 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 guy, these these mutants who are also outsiders, but they feel hard done by, you know? And we've seen this kind of narrative in the X-Men, right? We see, we see this kind of 
you know, a lot of these things are used as like metaphors for social issues such as racism, ableism, so on and so forth. People who are on the outside um, who don't take kindly to the establishment or to how normal people treat them, shall we say. Um, and so you, you have these stories going along and it's all like, it's all nicely woven together. It's, it's really nicely done. They've done a good job of not only making it relevant for a 2023 audience, um, but for also doing a lot of fan serving for, you know, a lot of the older generations who are there watching. I mean, Turtles even goes beyond my, you know, there's people older than me that probably grew up with Turtles. Like, so, you know, and there were plenty of like nods to old kind of things. They, there's even a part in there where they call them the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, which if anybody knows, it had to be, if anybody doesn't know, I should say, it was renamed the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles in the UK because the British broadcasters felt that Ninja sounded too violent. Um, so, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, yeah. So they, they've, they've got that nod to it in, in the movie as well. And, I mean, one of the main things I have to say is this is an animated film um, and it is absolutely stunning. Like, it's brilliant. Like I was saying of Enter the Spider-Verse before or Across the Spider-Verse, whichever one it is, um, every single frame is like a work of art. It's 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 stunningly brought to life. Um, it's kind of, I'm pretty sure it's a type of CGI, but they've made it look hand-drawn but sketched. It's it's right. it's, it's really quite sensational. Um so they've 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 done a lot right with this. The the voice acting is good. The dialogue is witty. It's snappy. Um, the big but here is that, I, and I'm, I I can't quite work out what it is yet. If I'm being brutally honest with you, but there was just something about it for me that just fell a little flat. Like it, it, it somehow fell a little flat that maybe it's because they were trying to cram a bit too much into there. Maybe it's because every single conversation goes at like hundred miles an hour and it's full of, you know, it's very snappy. It's very witty. And maybe this is something that is, you know, it, like I say, it is mainly aimed at a younger demographic who relate to content in this way, a bit more fast paced and what have you. But something about it, it, it didn't quite... It didn't quite kind of nail it. Uh, that's it. I know it sounds like such a lame way to get out of it, but it's the only way I can kind of put it right now. It didn't quite nail some of the emotional beats. It didn't quite nail some of the action beats. Um, so you got sort of seventy five percent of everything, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So you know how I came out of like across the Spider Verse, like wow, that's like blowing yeah. my socks off. It's nailed it across the board. Yeah. And, you know, you don't have to compare these things, but it's a huge kind of, you know, IP animated release. There's going to be natural comparisons drawn between them. It's not on that level. Um, Animation-wise, it's a stunning piece of work. I would say it is, yeah, it, it stands shoulder to shoulder with it on that level. But in terms of from a storytelling perspective, I don't, I don't think it quite got there, even though they are, like I said, there's there's a lot of merits to the story that they are trying to tell and a lot of kind of good messages in there. I just don't think it was wrapped up as well as it could have been. And maybe that's partly due to the fact they had four writers. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? It, it's, yeah. it's hard to say, but it is great. I would give it a, a, a solid kind of, Two and a half, three. No, actually, that's, that's harsh. Three. I'd give it a good solid three out of five. Um, 
Yeah. Was it released this week? Was it released? It was, was it Monday. Just yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. Monday. I mean, a tough time to come out as well. Like when you think yeah, but about I, what I, we've I think just it's had. doing quite well, though. I think it's doing pretty well. I'm, no, I mean more in the uh, uh, more in the sense like if you think about how mentally stimulating Oppenheimer and Barbie were. Yeah. And then you've got to come in and follow that up. And when we just had Mission Impossible as well, from an action point of view that kind of yeah. has that high bar, you've got to go some to try and sort of be memorable after that. Yeah. It's really I yeah. Mean, tough, tough spot. But it will be interesting to see because I think it is, It's. I don't think it's a kid's movie. The show and I went to, there were actually, I mean, and I went at like eight o'clock at night, but there were loads of like little, little kids in there as well, which I was quite surprised oh, wow. about. I thought I could escape that kind of crowd. Um <laughs> But yeah, so I, th- I think there's probably enough there. It's colourful enough for like for like a younger audience, but I think it's definitely marketed or aimed at like teenagers. But there's plenty there for like the mums and dads to enjoy, should we say? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, good mate. Well, like yeah. I mean, it's it, it, I, I think naturally there has to be a bit of a. You, it can't be Oppenheimer every week. No, it just can't. You know, that was a kind of like, that was a, a bit of a standout. But we have still got loads of good stuff coming as well. Loads of good stuff coming. Um, I, have I, you seen I Barbie tried yet? To, no, I haven't because I went on holiday straight after straight after we recorded uh, Oppenheimer and, and Pretty Woman. Um, so I've got to get, get myself out there this weekend. But I will. I'm very, very excited to go and see that. And also I keep, I keep stumbling across it. It's, it's been quite interesting, hasn't it? It's, it seemingly has this kind of really... Um, fun tail with it that is in like rear end tail that it's kind of like over the course of uh, of the last week or so the dialogue has just kept going around Barbie like yeah. I thought that it, the dialogue it's close to a billion going, now close to a bill did you say yeah close to a billion oh my God. They, they suspect it will go over the billion threshold after this weekend yeah, and which is pretty much. What about Oppenheimer? I mean, Oppenheimer's smashing it as well. Oppenheimer's about half a bill, near enough. Yeah, because they, were, like, because they were saying, weren't they, that they were like, it won't make as much, but it will sort of probably critically sort of do better. But um, it just seems like they've both done absolutely phenomenally. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. But I will get to go and see it this weekend. Um, but I've been I've been immersed. I've Even though I was away, I've been immersing myself within uh, the world of our film this week. Oh yeah, which was a like I mean my my call on this one, but it is one of my favourite films of all time. I mean, um, what what film to have as a favourite film? Was, well, not your favourite one of one, but it's up there for me. And I think so. Before we started the pod, Purdy was sort of saying our producer Purdy was saying that like, he's not sure how he feels about action films. This for me is like up there with the best action films of all time and we can go into why that is but we went for terminator 2 this week oh um, yeah judgment day which is um yeah it's just phenomenal it's such a it's such an incredible film um and i think that again it's another one of those films that i think i said about pretty woman last week i kind of just expect when I chat to people about films, Terminator 2, which is one of those films you kind of like, oh, of course you've seen Terminator and Terminator 2, you know. But it's also so rare to find a film where the sequel is better than the original. Yeah, and like, miles better. So rare. Yeah, like legit, without without foregoing or getting rid of any of the stuff that made 
people love the first Terminator film. You no, know? no, and, I, and that's and it's a great film, and it, 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 you know, on its own merit, Terminator, you know, but Terminator Two yeah. just blows it out of the water. How did you find it watching it back? Oh, uh, brilliant! I, I think it's you know, I'm sure we'll get into this more, but. It's held. I mean, yeah, T one thousand CGI is starting to look a little dated now, but this is almost thirty years on now, right? Or well, way over thirty, probably. How old yeah, is this I, movie now? Let's have a little look. Ninety two. Is it ninety two? Ninety one. Ninety ninety one. So, so. I mean, I, well, I mean, yeah. It, 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 just that that opening. Do you know what? Before we get into it, your turn to try and spoil this film. I'll give you 60 seconds on the clock. No, no. You know how good I am at this, mate. Yeah, ready to absolutely crush it. Right, 60 seconds on the clock. Ready? Three, two, one, go. So Terminator 2 Judgment Day starts focused on a young John Connor as he is pursued by not one, but two Terminators this time. However, the twist in this is that the Terminator from the original, as played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, is actually being sent back to help him by an older like version of John Connor. The other Terminator that's following him is the T-1000. Meanwhile, Sarah Connor, his mother, after the events from the first movie, has found herself locked up in seconds. some kind of mental institution. Essentially, they have to go and break out Sarah Connor, who has been warning everybody of the impending nuclear holocaust that's on its way, as sent out by Skynet, the computer created, that is now embedded in the heads of every Terminator, and they have to stop the seconds. young John Connor from being killed before Judgment Day happens and also stop Skynet whilst this monstrous T-1000 that can shapeshift and go into... Blah, 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 blah. There you go. I got too flustered at the end, mate. I lost my words. I lost my words. The words started escaping. But to be fair... You're like, there's a thing, there's a monster. (laughs) And the bit in the end and this thing happens. Uh, And the thing in his arms are sword. The arms are sword bit, my God. That Sorry to start sort of like 20 minutes in, but the bit where the T-1000's arm is the sword and it's impersonating his stepmom and then it just pans Horrible. out and it's going through the milk carton. And it, I watched a behind the scenes of how they did that. It is amazing. We're like, we'll really? come on to the kind of pra- practical effects and CGI thing, but that in particular, they basically, the arm goes through him so like you, you're you're like you the you shot from a side profile and they've got this kind of metal sword going into the actor's mouth and they didn't use a dummy it's like the actual actor they've got this thing going into his mouth and he's kind of like biting down on it and then they've got a um then they've got another piece of metal like stuck into the wall behind him so they shoot it side profile and it looks like the the two bits of metal are kind of like connected but they're actually it's just a depth perception thing. But I, yeah. like that in itself, watching, I watched loads of these little behind the scenes things of this because I was really intrigued as to like how they did a lot of the stuff. And I mean, no surprise, loads of it was done through practical effects. Loads of it was done just in real life. And we can touch on all the different bits in a bit, but that is why I think this feels like such a special film when you're watching it back and you're getting all that sense of excitement and sense of fear. It's because it feels 
very it, it feels very very real um which again we'll, we'll come on to but um I, I wanted to ask you straight away off the bat mate why do you think that this is in the kind of most people would put this in kind of like a top 20 or a top 15 some people even top 10 films of all time why do you think that is because it's clearly not like it's got Arnold Schwarzenegger in who by all accounts is he's obviously a huge star but mm. I don't think you'd claim he's the greatest actor of his generation it's got um is it Linda Hamilton yeah who plays Sarah Connor incredibly well but Ed Furlong who plays John Connor probably it's not like the greatest child performance of all time Robert Patrick's very good yeah I think what I'm saying is like it's very rare to have like action films like this considered as one of the goats almost mm. yeah it's interesting i don't know I, I don't know if it's managed to there's something about maybe the, the 90s element to it the 90s nostalgia that has has kept its legacy enduring do you know what i mean the fact that it, it's it was kind of at that height of like 90s filmmaking as well i think it's like at the very peak of late 80s early 90s action storytelling um got James Cameron there really kind of starting to flex himself as like one of the very sort of best in the game at doing this type of thing. His attention to detail can never be understated. Like the, you know, the craft that he puts into his films, you do have Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's obviously, you know, just like you say, he's not the most iconic. Um, he is one of the most iconic actors. He's not one of the best actors going, but in this movie, it's like it's it's a role made for him, right? Um, it's just it's 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 almost too perfect. Yeah, his size, his kind of monotone delivery, all of it. it it's the rigidity it's, of his movement uh, as well. You absolutely, know? I just think there's a, there's a lot of elements there that I mean, number one, I mean as well, like the the script is tight. You know, it's tight. It's it's well paced. The story is. Um, and it's funny, I mean, we, we, I can sort of talk about this now. I did find it quite interesting. One thing I did notice this time as well is there's something of a tonal shift, like halfway through the film. Essentially, when, you know, Sarah Connor gets out of prison, it kind of goes from being this kind of like brightly coloured um, 90s, you know, LA. So you've got that LA, that rich palette of like yellows and kind of, you know, neon colours and things like that to suddenly this like neo-noir, even with her like narrating it and stuff in the background, like telling telling their every move and how suddenly the whole tone, the whole palette of the movie comes down a few notches as she's out of prison. I, I did find that quite interesting. It is a very interesting tonal shift. And I, I, I am interested to kind of hear your thoughts on why that might be. I guess we can... Well, yeah, so I ha do have a specific thought on this because there's yeah. a deleted scene in, in the film that while well, well, it was taken out of the film. I don't know if you've seen this, but at the so at the beginning of the film, this is properly geeky. I'm going to sneak out on this one. At the beginning of the film, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator T-800 is walking around and there is a kind of, you can see on the screen that he's in this kind of like read-only mode okay. in terms of like the way that he's taking everything in. He's just seeing everything and he's not learning anything. Um, he's just kind of like, he's been set with a program. He's got to go and protect John Connor. And that's the end of that. Every action that he has is kind of um, meant to show that he's literally just there to protect John Connor. And, and that's it. And 
they kind of decided to intertwine, I think, into the film, this idea of him being a learning model, you know, almost like a learning okay. prototype type thing. So he, by the end of the film, you're like, he, he says, I see now why you cry. And he's starting to understand emotion. And John Connor's able to give him this kind of evolution of humor and human-like behavior. Yeah. Um, and it, it, the, the kind of, flip is happening to Sarah Connor. So we see with her that she's becoming more cold mm. and more ruthless and more Terminator-like. Yeah. And it basically is meant to, I think anyway, it's meant to show that that switch that you're talking about is meant to show that we go from, on the one hand, kind of like this idea of the, the idea of sort of humanity and everything's quite upbeat to almost quite like cold, dark end of the world style like when mm. she goes to kill miles dyson she's moving. towards the house yeah. yeah she's moving like a terminator she's yeah. moving and here's another cool thing i'm gonna skip right ahead with this um like do you know what just it feels natural to talk about arnold schwarzenegger now because he is the heart of he's kind of like the, the the maybe not the heart of the film but he's the heartbeat of the film he's the rhythm of the film he's the he's the, it's his character that's moving everything along and we get that from literally the, the the start of the film right the arrival scenes these two like absolute specimens of, of human beings or, or or not human beings but cyborgs arriving from the future and they kind of just erupt into the 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 story through this burning sort of electricity probably one of the only bits of the cgi that i was a bit like oh come on that's a bit that's a bit uh powerpoint but it's like <laughs> it's 30 years old we can give it a pass um but because arnold schwarzenegger had been so kind of physically impressive in terminator one Linda Hamilton basically got absolutely stacked for Terminator 2. Really? Because she was so impressed by his work ethic and because she was so impressed by how hard he was training behind the scenes. She was like, if we're doing this again, I'm not going to... Like, my character needs to develop somehow as well. So she is, she's ripped in this. She's, like, you can see she's really bulked out. And sort mm. of um, in the Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary, he sort of talks about how impressed he was by her work ethic by the time he rocked around for the second film. But you do see this kind of juxtaposition. And I think so much of that is down to this perfection of the first act of the film. Like, for me, the beginning... And the world building in that opening exchange is is just unreal because yeah. I I assume that at the time I mean I have no idea but I'm assuming in 1991 when film critics were doing the kind of write ups and analysis and reviews they probably would have had to spoil the fact that Arnie was going to be the good guy in this one I guess maybe. would have been tough though wouldn't it because it it would it's the type of thing isn't it because it would have been nice at that time to be like a, a you know a fully formed adult i guess watching this with the full yeah. knowledge of the original one in your head yeah yeah to see what that was like as a as a twist yeah you know? absolutely when they're coming down the corridor and i think this is the this is the thing about the first act right is that we arrive like with the ominous sense of sort of danger and fear and something is going to go wrong. Like we, we already are feeling like, oh, panic, panic, panic. But it almost feels like 
it almost feels like we're on the the periphery of the danger, mm. you know, and it's almost like this magnetizing force dragging you towards it. And then at the same time, we get John Connor, who is this, he's almost like, you know, it's like one of those horrible YouTube videos of a, of a hamster being put in a massive tank with two snakes. Yeah. And you just kind of like, they start circling around it. Um, and, 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 it, and it's just amazing. But so by the time that you get to the two of them meeting in the middle and him being kind of sandwiched perfectly in between the two of them, you're at this kind of like sort of your heart is absolutely racing and you're kind of totally drawn in. Um, and, and even down to the fact that they have very different body types and they have different ways of moving and one is kind of like a little bit more fluid and the other one is very sort of brutish. And then you have the fragility of a child sandwiched between the two of them. It is amazing for creating this ominous sense of fear and danger. So then I think that first kind of exchange, which then kind of leads to... This is one of the other things that I was fascinated by. It leads to what is probably one of the most perfect chase scenes in any film ever. You know, when they get onto the, um, he gets on, to, he's on the bike and then they jump into, is it, what would you call that? It's got like, a, not a, they're like estuaries or something, aren't yeah. they? Like, yeah. And it's such a clever use of that because, because it's, it, it almost feels, again, it creates a sense of claustrophobia, right? The whole film yeah. feels claustrophobic. You feel like you're being chased the entire time, which is just such a horrible and scary film, but it is magnetic. You feel like you're never too far away from, from the danger. So even when they do escape, you get these brief moments of respite and then you feel like, it's going to happen again and it's going to go again. But I do wonder, sorry, I've been yammering on for ages about this, but I do wonder whether that 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 switch up that you said is when they go from being on the the, the sort of the chased people, like the, the prey, to yeah. going to be the predators. Mm, you know, they're going to go and take control of the future and go and like see if they can kill Miles Dyson. Um, but then also there was a lovely, there, there was a lovely thing in that, that realisation that, that, Linda Hamilton's character has, she has a realization that she was literally going to go and kill a human being in cold blood, just like a Terminator would. And you sort of see her have this, this breakdown, which is just amazing. Um, that, that first act for you, mate, the, the kind of arrival scenes, watching it back, did it still stir that same sort of like, yeah, here we go. Well, I mean, come on, man! Like the bad to the bone, the scene in the in the diner Amazing. with all the bikers. Amazing! I mean, come on, it's absolutely unbelievable, isn't it? It's, it's got to be like it's up there of one of those like most iconic movie kind of scenes of all time. You Where know? he puts the cigar out and him like. It's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. It's so horrible, and just even like you know the, that kind of that huge. The thing that I find it so grim is like because there's no peril because you know the Terminator's going to be okay. But when you sort of see how grubby those bikers are, like that one that's got like that horrible dagger thing that he pulls out to like yeah. stab a dude in a bar over like next to nothing, but yeah. ends up getting it through his shoulder, you know, and it, the way he's so like, pull him out, pull him out, you know, it's, it's horrible. It's so like, oh, it gets you. But I mean, that it's, it's like, look, it's one of those things that I think that like some people, and I think like if you did that today, 
some people might, you know, right at the end when Bad to the Bone starts playing and you think he's going to, you know, can't, you let, can't let you take the man's wheel, son, you know. And, and, no, I, thought that was, I thought that was actually a little bit of foreshadowing as well. There's like a bit of comedy in that. It's like, yeah. sorry, son. Yeah. <laughs> the way he said it. It's so and, good. But the way, like, you know, how the Terminator takes his sunglasses and puts those on, there's that little bit of me. It's like, I uh, like, this is cool like i can suspend yeah, reality yeah, yeah. i do wonder if like a more cynical like now you know what these nasty little cynical gen z's are like if they would say that something like that was cringe he's you a know machine what I mean? why does he, he need it, sunglasses precisely and i think like <laughs> bits like that you just have to kind of suspend like the skepticism a bit because i'm so I mean, glad you said that i'm because, so glad you said that because it's cool it like it's cool along with the soundtrack he's just like fucked up a load of bikers like it's cool. And you know, if you've watched the original, how double R he is. Like, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of mad. But I mean, one of the, um, one of the things I did want to ask you about suspending reality, like in terms of this, mate, because my mind started going down this a bit. And like, we might, I might be jumping ahead a bit. I'm sorry if I am. No, no, no. Go, go, go. It, it just feels like a, a, a good point to bring up. So if John Connor sends back his own dad in the first one how could he have existed in the first place i i, like, I often get lost down these kind of yeah the rabbit hole of the, the time the rabbit hole of these things but that sort of didn't make sense to me and then i'm also like could john connor if john connor was sending out a robot to save john connor surely john connor knows that he's won anyway well here's the thing Th- that is the tagline of the film or that's not the the whole thing that she draws on the on the table. No fate, but what we make. Hmm. And so the idea is is that the future isn't set. Which is so, and this is kind of a bit bizarre actually. But I've rewatched Tenet again a few times recently. Okay, I don't know why I got like obsessed with it. it like just <laughs> kind of, it, it's one of those films where I think actually the more you watch it, and the more you can understand it, the more you're like, oh, this is actually really like really good probably needs to be more understandable but it's a really really cool concept but basically like the idea of the timeline is is that you go through to the end of the the timeline loop and then he he dies Carl Reese dies right he mm. gets to the end of his cycle so technically he that even he's still moving forward in time even though he's gone back God, that was a horrible explanation. I'm not going to lie. You've lost me already. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was sad. Do you, know what, do you know how tragically geeky this got with the Tenet stuff is that I had to, I had to start watching. Um, they had these like diagrams that you can watch. Like people have made 3D diagrams of how to understand Gross. when people are moving forward and when people are moving backwards. But it, I, I, it just about makes sense for me. Um, but... The thing that I really, really liked about this, like you said, is there was this, there was these elements of it where it's like, you can just let this bit go. Like with um, with the fact that the T-1000, so what is the name of the guy? I always forget, Patrick. Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick. Um, he kind of seems to have, the, like, he seems like angry, you know? He seems like pissed off and annoyed. And you're like, well, he's, 
She's a robot. She's not going to be annoyed, but that kind of like adds to his character. And and um, the fact that Arnold Schwarzenegger's character at the end goes, "I need a vacation." It's like, why? Why would a why would a robot be asking for a vacation? Yeah. Need some PTO. Like it just it, it just was at times kind of like a bit silly. But I kind of liked those little touches. They kind of made that was part of the charm of it. You know, that was the whole. That was the whole. Like, I think I think that's why this for me goes on another level because the first film was it, I I feel like it was almost a, a horror film whereas this one was a bit more of yeah. an evolution it felt like it had more kind of elements to it and maybe it's a bit more around the themes and the ideas and um the kind of it was quite sci-fi in its in its approach it was less kind of like this thing is going to hunt you down and kill you it was actually a lot about there's a lot of stuff around family in there there's a lot mm. of stuff around the idea of kind it was of needing like a, a father multi-genre figure. film wasn't it you know totally. like there's so much going on totally yeah and it, and and the the stuff the, there's like a scene the the voiceover that she has where she was like when i was watching the machine with my son you can see that it was kind of like the closest thing to a father figure that he was ever going to have yeah. like there was this um i wonder if i can I, wonder, I don't know if i'm skipping too far ahead here but there was this thing that i saw online that i had never kind of um taken into account um which was basically someone asking the question, how long does it take to learn human emotion? And basically this film only takes place, I think over the course of like 36 hours, maybe 48 hours. And so the idea is, is that this machine by the end of the film has learned the full range of human emotion. And he's understood why he kind of, why human beings cry, which would be like the feeling of like complete loss and pain without being in any sort of physical pain, um, which is really kind of fascinating because I hadn't thought of that before, you know, because we're so busy being on, on Arnold Schwarzenegger's side, like we want him to win, that you don't actually question the fact that it's like, oh, there's actually a bit of a warning there about machine learning and stuff and the mm. idea of kind of like maybe technology is actually a force for good but also we should be a little bit more worried about that which is quite cool um but yeah it was it was it was kind of fascinating like i i i found myself getting like really i remember as a kid watching this and finding it really hilarious when john connor was instructing him to say like chill out dickwad and yeah, and yeah. stuff like that and then him going chill out dickwad um <laughs> but I, I, like, it really made it really made me chuckle and then actually this time around it was kind of a little bit more like oh this is interesting because they, they were actually doing a little bit more from a genre point of view than i perhaps realized at the time can i uh can i just say one thing ben because I'm interested to know, just to touch on more of this point about the human emotion thing. And as much as I was saying about suspending reality, I think the only part where this movie did lose me a little bit was right at the end with the, I see why you cry now. Yeah. Like, and, and that was the only one bit I thought this time when I was like, just feels like you've over, it felt like they overextended it a bit. Yeah, didn't need that bit, did it? Just didn't need that. Just lower yourself in, you know, and then it, then you make the point even more brutally that it was like he was never anything other than a machine, you know. Well, but this is this is it because, and this is, I guess, we, you know, this feels like a, a fine time to talk about this kind of thing because we, we we've already scratched on the surface of this. 
Just because, I mean, I guess he's saying, I see why you cry now. He's kind of understanding, okay, so a human being in this situation, I have a... I mean, but still, like, does a computer or would AI have actual emotion? I guess that is a question that we will be talking about a lot more in in the coming years. Um, And like you say, to, to have mastered human emotions in, what, 36 hours? Again, I think with some of these older films... We're a bit less, um, you know. Nowadays, I think there's a there's a there's a heavier reliance, I guess, because of internet message boards, because of social media and such, for things to try and be a bit more realistic. If you get what I mean, and I say that in air quotes, that people are going to be pulling people up more on timelines. And actually, they did this in this amount of time. And oh, yeah. sh- she started to heal, but she sprained her ankle less than twelve hours. Ago. Do you know what I mean? That yeah, type of thing, yeah, yeah. like. And I do think with this, like, I mean, okay, we understand it's 36 hours, but really it's, you know, it's it's an amount of time, isn't it? That's kind of what we take from the film. But uh, it, it is, like you say, it is interesting to know. I guess they are showing you quite how sophisticated the machine is. Um, but well, whether or not, uh, I mean, whether or not AI could experience its own form of emotion and what well, that would look like. And there was another theory out there that this that the film is progressing through. Have you ever heard of the of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so that, that well, there was it. There was another theory that it was kind of progressing through and showing you the the hierarchy of needs and 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 progressing through them, and and then by the end, the machine reaching self actualization, the idea like the idea of acceptance and experience and meaning. By the end, at the beginning, it's kind of like the base level stuff. And it shows you John kind of teaching these things. So at the bottom of it, if people haven't seen, it's basically like a sort of pyramid and it basically explains what human being, what an individual needs in order to kind of like self-actualize and understand meaning of their existence. And then it's at at a base level, it's things like, food water then it goes into security safety health and then you get into like love and belonging which is at the point of the film when we start to understand that relationship sort of father son style thing Mm. that he has where he's talking about um we's kind of like they're, they're working on a car together which i thought was a really interesting addition you know like that's a very kind of father son thing they're underneath the they're underneath the car and he's asking him to pass him bits of the 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 tools that he need and then you get into self-esteem and you start talking about respect and humor and and um the idea of kind of like rewarding things you know and then you get into the self-actualization at the end and i thought that maybe there was kind of like a comment there about kind of like even at all of those stages whether the machine ever actually did anything other than mimic what it was being told to do anyway you know, mm. which I felt like, which I thought was quite an interesting thing because it, the whole, for me, the whole film is actually more of a, it's kind of like less, it's actually a little bit more optimistic than I realized. I thought originally that the film was quite doomsday ish, you know, because we yeah. have that whole scene of her like standing holding the, um, the fence and like the flames. Oh, it's just horrible, just, isn't it? It's really grim. And it's, and it's sort of like watching, having watched Oppenheimer as well yeah. last week, it's really kind of like, oh my God, that that for me brought into focus the bit of Oppenheimer that they chose to leave out. 
yeah. you know the idea of like that actually happened for hundreds of thousands of people um so like yeah it was it, it was it was sort of the, the film was actually a little bit more optimistic because i think the idea is it's kind of like if you keep things in check you could actually have technology that works and is not going to ruin everything and just yeah. kill off human beings you know because it, it feels like in most other i feel like in most other sort of films of this type that talk about AI and that talk about a consciousness or whatever, or even if you look at things like the matrix, it's always like they're trying to kill human beings off. So it was quite a cool touch to have two machines and one that was on the goodies side. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Which is quite rare. Just quite, which is quite a, quite a nice touch. Um, I wanted to go back a tiny bit, if that's okay. And talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Because I was a little bit, I think I was a little bit too young to know about him in his in his prime. Mm. You know, I don't think I I just missed that. But in watching everything back for this and, and like looking at all the videos of kind of that era of time, I didn't realize just how big a star he was. Like he was literally like the guy. Um, but. Did you know he wasn't going to do the follow-up for this because he was going to be a good guy and he wasn't going to get to kill anyone? Really? Yeah. Like, he was going to, like, turn it down because he had this ongoing thing with Sylvester Stallone. Do you know about this? Well, I I, I always sort of heard that, like, they had a bit of it because everyone used to laugh and joke about it. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen The Last Action Hero, another Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. So The Last Action Hero is, he's basically playing Arnold Schwarzenegger in this film, but somehow some kind of, like, you know, it's like an early iteration almost of, like, a multiverse movie. Essentially, like, this magic movie ticket makes this screen come alive and... Arnold Schwarzenegger comes out of this movie screen as his character from within this movie, right? So he's suddenly in the real world and he's trying to understand what the real world is, blah, 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 blah. But he takes the kid who has seen this film, he he brings the kid into the action movie world. And they're like, he's trying to show the kid all the differences, all that type of thing. And there's one little scene in particular when they go into a blockbuster video... And the kid's trying to say to him, like, you're Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're like such a big star. You're a huge star. Look, let me show you. Let me show you. And they go into Blockbuster Video. And they go through the aisles and they find like a Terminator, like poster or video box. It's been a lot of years since I've seen it. And then he's like, no, 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 no. That's not right. And then it's Sylvester Stallone mocked up as the Terminator (laughs) kind of thing. And the character, the, the guy who like Arnold Schwarzenegger is playing in this is like, what do you mean? He's fantastic in that movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, and to say, and I know that like people had always hinted that they'd had like a bit of a a, a rivalry, but I didn't know what. So they actually. So I, mean, I guess it makes sense. They're both big like alpha dogs, aren't they? So yeah, they, they were they were proper sort of. Sylvester Stallone used to leak in the press that he was in the running to do films, so that. Arnold Schwarzenegger would try and get in there and take on films. <laughs> and then when he was signed up to do a film that he, Sylvester Sloan didn't want, he could then go and do the one that he did. 
you know, yeah. and they, they started getting into this kind of like this idea of like, well, if he kills 50 people in a film, I need to kill a hundred people in a film. If he like, if he's got this size gun, I need to have two of those guns, you know, and it was genuinely getting to that point. And so James Cameron had to try and convince him that, that this was a good role to take on. And so that's why you have this kind of like, you can't kill anyone, but he still shoots everyone. You know, he, he like so he still gets to shoot everyone, just no one dies, <laughs> which but, is a really, really cool touch. But do you know what the interesting thing is? I do wonder, really, because if you think about it, if you think post the like the height of like the bigger so you know, the big action movies, you've had like Sylvester Stallone, obviously in like Rambo, the Rocky movies, mm. um, Cobra, things like that. Then equally, you've had Arnie in kind of, you know, Predator in um, Commando in the Terminator movies. But then uh, those type of the other one? Running Man as well. But these type Conan of movies. Was other one, wasn't it? Yeah, these type of movies started to die out a bit. Yeah. And, but I think Sylvester Stallone's career kind of nosedived a bit, really. Like Demolition Man was like a mid 90s movie that was, I enjoyed it, but never really like hit the old heights. And he kind of flailed for a bit i think until really he started remaking the rocky movies and then latterly the creed films mm. whereas arnold schwarzenegger and i do wonder if terminator 2 the comedy side of it and the softer side of it actually opened the door for him to go on and do things like twins to do things like kindergarten yeah. cop yeah, to do yeah. things like jingle all the way do you know what i mean and <laughs> and really gave arnold schwarzenegger a complete second win to his career something that you see somebody like for example the rock doing now yeah you know the yeah, rock absolutely. kind of and and like i mean batista is a bit younger but he's sort of you know he's been doing like knives out and things like that um but it doesn't really matter about them but uh, i mean with arnie yeah i do i do just wonder if like even though he didn't want to do it at first it actually in part opened up a new door for him yeah, and they do. I mean, James Cameron sort of said that he's like, "This is this this is a good thing for you, you know. Like, this is this is going to vary what you're doing." But again, like, I maybe we can come into this now as well. I I, I found. I, I'm sorry to go on about the documentary. I would really highly recommend that people watch it. It's fascinating. Like, it's fascinating. I this do guy watch is, it. Yeah. This guy is like crazy driven. Like. Unbelievably driven, which you like. I mean, I mean, he won. He was Mister Universe, wasn't he? Like, I think like six, seven times. Yeah, Muscle Beach and all that type. Yeah, of thing. Yeah, right? and 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 he kind of had these things that he wanted to do, where he was like, right, I'm going to become Mister Universe, but then once I've done that, then I'm going to go and there was there was kind of like there was like Mister, I think it was like Mister World, and then Mister Universe or something like mm. that, and one was kind of like the the US version, and he was like, right, okay, well now I'm gonna go and prove that I can do that, and then he was like, well, I don't just want to be known for being muscular, I want to be known for you know, like being the biggest movie star going, and he just didn't, he got to this point where he was just like, how do I get there? 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 And just keep, keep going and going and going and going and and and. You watch the doc and you see him taking on the Terminator film and, and what it does for him. And it kind of talks about the nature of the money that it makes and him being driven by the box office. And I mean, at the time, I didn't even realize this. He had a he had a load of real estate as well. So he'd like got this a hold of this real estate company so that he could make enough money that he could be 
affording to just become an actor. So he sort of has this interesting kind of mentality that mm. it's not like other people's, but you do then see as he gets older, I don't want to spoil this too much. You do then see as he gets older, this has come at like a massive cost to him. Like his ruthless obsession with being this huge movie star and then going into politics as well has cost him like a lot in his life. And he, he maybe is not quite as fulfilled as you would imagine that it would be as with everything right you you people always want to tell the fairy tale but the actual the truth underneath it is somewhat different but it's it's really fascinating listening to him talk about this kind of era that he was in where he was at the top and at the very top and then what comes after you know what comes after you're at the top because you can't be at the top forever and him and stallone had this absolute ding dong where they're making huge films and um he, he also talks about that the last action hero being a, a flop that it, it, at the box office it like absolutely tanked and people ruined him for it like they critically he was absolutely panned um so it like it's really fascinating seeing this guy because he's I think he's quite a troubled character and I didn't mm. realize that because the, the the he's the terminator you know <laughs> this is a guy who's yeah. we've been he's been reiterated to us time and time and time again he's the terminator and he's always using his taglines and he's always absolutely enormous and he always sort of looks the part that actually like underneath all of the the exterior there's still just a guy in there that is is is, is pining for something you know and again mm. i won't ruin what he's pining for because i think it's the documentary does a good job of showing it but um it it helped having watched the documentary and then watching it alongside this film i'm like wow like this guy was going through some stuff you know he wasn't completely as um bulletproof as as people wanted to believe that he was at that time yeah well i mean it, he's he's spoken about in the past before i did want to double check this i was just doing it um then what are you doing? But I remember reading about this not long ago. He has spoken as well about the fact his, you know, his father was in the Nazi party. And I think mm -hmm. that's something that he's wrestled with. I don't know if they touch on that in the documentary yeah, at yeah. all. But he, I know that's taken a heavy mental toll on him. Uh, kind of, you know, I don't know, even know if his father was ever repentant or anything about that. Um, but he just, it seems to be the way he's speaking about it is that his father is consumed by an ideology of hatred do you know what i mean and it's um i can imagine that's probably a pretty tough one to because he's he's getting on a bit now aren't he isn't he? he's in his 70s now i think mid to late 70s yeah and i mean like he doesn't he just time ultimately is gonna hit us all right we can't escape it forever um but he was he was mr universe he was enormous he was mm. six foot five or whatever and the most physically perfect human male on the planet mm. you know like what a strange thing to be at and then to have to climb down from you know like yeah. and just accepting that age is going to get you like you can't especially be... like being that kind of alpha male where you just yeah pride yourself on being big and strong and like the leader and everything you know i think that probably is quite a climb down i know it's kind of different but you see it quite a lot from sports stars don't you when they retire from the game that they've been amazing at you know you've seen we've all heard about paul gascoigne who yeah. always had his demons but they were heavily heavily exacerbated by you know his football career coming to an end and it's yeah i can imagine it is it's very tough but he stays you know he's an incredible nick and he's still such an icon for not just like 
movie fans and fans of just you know general like nostalgia and things like that in in like my line of work I, i've worked on a lot of videos to do with like you know these kind of like swole gains gym lads and stuff like that and arnie's still such an icon for them you know yeah. still to this day like you know the the actual the influence of joey swole like always puts up this video the time he met Arnold Schwarzenegger. Do you know what I mean? And Arnie's like, well, you're so big, you're so massive, you know? And he's just like, <laughs> you can imagine for like some like jacked kind of gains, bro. That's like, that's, you know, that's the almost like, seal of approval. that's the Messiah talking to you, yeah. right? It's yeah, Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger. Um, and, and his work version of that was Reg Park. So like Reg Park sort of came yeah. before him and he like, he went and met him and had that for for himself. So I mean, it is like it's it's fascinating that kind of that to, to be that iconic. Also, like I think I said it last week. He does this commencement ad- address that I saw where I, it's it's fascinating him talking about how just how much he worked out and just how much time that he committed to it and how he's basically a kind of it's he's your proto molly may there's 24 hours in the day we've all got the same amount of time but but he tells it from a point of view of like imagine if you chose to spend an hour on your your body every day um like and he was like how how long do you sleep well if you sleep Eight hours just sleep faster <laughs> which is probably quite toxic now oh, in, in 2023 i was going to say ben there's there's a few things i thought i was going to hear ahead of recording this podcast but arnold schwarzenegger is a proto molly may <laughs> <laughs> wasn't one of those things i'm not gonna lie look mate, let, me, let me ask you about this film because like look, we, we've done a lot of this deep enough of all this deep right existential Bonnet. stuff right <laughs> get all that out the window we're talking about terminator you dry lunch right like, <laughs> What's your favourite action sequence in this, mate? Because there are some absolutely unbelievable set pieces in this. We're talking about kind of old movies, why this film is still great today, why I still enjoyed it. Because, you know, as I was saying of Mission Impossible, the, the like the amazing set pieces that there were in that, this, by comparison, does not look dated. And some old movies, you extend them a bit of like, okay, it's old, let's just let it off the hook a bit. With this, I don't think so. I think a lot of the scenes in this would still kind of blow the socks off of an audience if they were put out today, right? It's 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 brilliant. And I think it was a real kind of groundbreaker, right? It was a real yeah. kind of leader in a lot of this, especially some of the chase sequences, all this type of thing. But which one, which sort of set piece in this stands out for you? So for me... Easy answer. It's the helicopter scene where the helicopter is chasing the car because they actually did it. Wow. Um, and it's then in, in there's a, you know, you get those kind of videos of like actor breaks down his favorite parts on yeah, GQ yeah. or whatever it is. Um, there's a, there's a CGI guy who breaks down. I think it's like Terminator Dark Fate like how they did the scene and he was like this was done through cgi and this was done for cgi and this was done for cgi and this was done for cgi and this spark here is cgi and these wheels weren't moving so it's cgi <laughs> and like in in terminator 2 it's all just done through like they actually did it it was done in real life and there were some things that they then later added like the the liquid metal stuff and for example when they shoot the holes through the t1000 there's like some bits were done for practical effects and others were done through cgi um 
But the helicopter chase sequence, they genuinely flew that helicopter that low underneath that bridge and then crashed it into the back of a van. You know, like, that's unreal. That's so cool. That is and then mad. We, and then we get that, 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 it's all kind of part of the same sequence, but we then get that bit with the liquid nitrogen or whatever, where it freezes him and he goes, yeah. hasta la vista, baby. And then like blows him up and it sort of fires off into loads like of different thousand directions. thousand frames a second type thing. Oh, amazing. So well done. What about you? Oh, I don't know, mate. It's, I, I do really like the bat of the bone scene right at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, so that's probably got to be up there. I think there's also there's that brilliant scene when he's when they're at um, what is it Cyberdyne Labs? Is it called where there's where the Skynet's oh, been created? Oh wow, that is really good. Yeah, and, and they he's that- there with the minigun. <laughs> shooting yeah, across not hitting any of them though amazing and then he does a little scan it's like zero fatalities or whatever but, amazing but, but do you know what's very interesting though and uh, uh, it, it, the fact that he's not just indiscriminately shooting a gun down blowing up all those people it adds more peril to the scene yeah it actually yeah, yeah. it's it's a masterstroke from if it was jim cameron or whoever came up with that idea that he shouldn't kill anybody in this film it does add so much more peril to it and it does make it it involves the character, A lot more right? tense, yeah. It involves it's, his character. It takes him on another level. It's a masterstroke. Not just like this kind of cold killing machine. It's kind of like taking him on. And, and, and that's why it's such a perfect sequel, because it drags the film f- from just being a straightforward out and out, kind of almost like a slasher film and turns it into like, it plays on the idea of trauma and it plays on the idea of like the role reversal of Sarah Connor becoming more cold and evolves the characters and it twists that original and adds a load of emotion to it and and as i said before it sort of gets the fragility of of ed furlong's john connor suddenly adds another element to it because he can't protect himself right so he's not going to fight back it's like literally this precious thing there's jeopardy there um just before we we because i've this is my fault we're gonna have to go relatively short on the pod today but just before we get onto the the fine wine of war crime section i wanted to give a shout out to uh robert patrick as the t1000 oh yeah he is unbelievable um and a couple of little things on this there's an there's a video online and if you can find it i would so highly recommend it of his audition um for the role as the t1000 and they needed him to be in great shape, but not big. They needed him to have like almost like a like a dancer's shape, right? Because he needs to be liquid. He needs to be able to move kind of fluidly. So they wanted to to, to have him as a more than a match. We're going to be better than Arnold, but not physically bigger. You know, stronger in 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 the, the way that he moves, but not in his appearance. And this audition. And he literally, he's doing this stuff with his face. I don't know how he's doing it, but just, it's this cold, blank, death-like stare of just It's terrifying, analysis. isn't it, though? He's so how, scary in this film. His face, like, it, 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 it's, it's so kind of, I don't know what it is, but it's just kind of like that ability to remove, siphon out any emotion from your face and just like become this ruthless killer. It's It's unbelievably good. Uh, and there's a, a nice little nod to it in, I think it's Wayne's World or Wayne's World 2, when he just pops up, you know, have you seen this boy? Like, <laughs> and they, like, they drive off very scared and, of him. But there's so many, like, there's so many, again, like, you know, this is a huge film because there's so many different bits of this in 
culture you know there's so yeah. many ways Simpsons this is as ever. This, yeah where it, it, it digs in he sort of digs into the back of the car and is being dragged around With the golf and they gloves, throw yeah. The, yeah which is just amazing and another fun little fact on on robert patrick he was so quick that they had to reshoot the sequence of of john connor driving away on the bike because he was catching up the bike <laughs> that's quite good that's funny isn't, that's isn't really that amazing Absolutely amazing. Go on, can I just ask you one thing? I, I, I know you have to get off, mate. I'm just very interested here. This alternative ending, because I've never, ever heard that there was an alternative ending on this until I've seen your running order right now. So alternative ending is a voiceover from Sarah Connor, not too dissimilar from the one that we get at the end. But instead of just the the idea of them driving away on the road and just driving and driving and driving and trying to get away, John Connor's there with a he's got a baby girl and he's become a senator i think and they're at a park and they kind of watch the world kind of just unfolding in front of them and and she's like he's now fighting different battles to kind of stop the world developing to that place but he's done it as a senator as opposed to as as a military leader um but they made a decision last minute to take the audio so use her kind of vo from it and cut it a little bit and then just take some of the earlier shots that they've got of the helicopter sort of light down on the ground and just extend that out and then run the VO over the top of it. Um, which I think is actually way better because it's a bit more ambiguous. Yeah. yeah I think I it's a little bit more kind of like... a bit lame if I'm going to be honest. Like It was it was, it was all very kind of like, and everybody lived happily ever after. Yeah, which, yeah. Which doesn't quite work. And also for the record, I think for me, off the back of this film... I think it's best just to draw a line after the uh, on the Terminator series. This is such Ooh. a high. I think it's such a high. I think it's just a good idea to go like, bang, there you go. Because there's, there are some good films later on. And the Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles TV series is certainly interesting as well. But some of the other guff in there, there was some, there was some tripe in there as well. Mm. Some proper gubbins. And I don't like the idea that you have to take it all. You know, yeah, it's a shame because I thought that was it Dark Salvation? Was it the one that Christian Bale was in? I thought they had something of an idea there, it could have been all right, but yeah, well, that was famously his rant, wasn't it? Yeah, that was done Uh, on that Terminator Salvation, was it? But but they did what are we up to now? Because I know they did rise. Do you know? I here's a mad one for you, mate. It's mad to think that Rise of the Machines Terminator 3 is closer to Terminator 2 than we are to Terminator 3 you right now. You are joking. Yeah. Oh my God, that was 2003. Yeah. Gosh. How mad is that? How mad yeah, is that? Yeah, and that one was a bit like, that was a, I wasn't sure about that. They had Terminator Genesis 2015, Terminator Dark Fate in 2019. I think John Connor actually dies in that one. Spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, I, that that's my hot take for this one. Um, right. We've got to fly through, but fine yeah. wine or war crime? Oh, I, I think it's a fine wine, mate. I, I, do, I didn't really see anything objectionable in there at all. I, th- I thought, you know, from a filmmaking perspective, absolutely unbelievable. The CGI, yes, it's starting to, just starting to look a bit dated now, but it's still not, you know... It's, th- it's over 30 years old. This is like very, very early CGI. What they managed to do with it, what they managed to achieve with it is brilliant. I'm glad 
it hasn't been remastered. If it was, let's be honest, if it was a George Lucas film, that would have been remastered yeah, it would to have been fuck. Battered, and I'm wouldn't glad it? that it hasn't been. Um, it's yeah, I think I think it's a fine one. I think there's a lot of, and, and I know you want to talk about this, but yeah, I think there's a lot there, especially in the character of Sarah Connor, that is dealt with very well. Um, yeah, if you want to expand on that, mate, no, no, then... no. That was, I, I just I just thought that again, her her character, like we said earlier on, like the physical nature of her performance, the fact mm. that she's just like not relying on anything other than her, that she's mm. kind of got into this place where she's going to be resourceful enough and she's going to train the future leader of the resistance because of like her yeah. kind of tutelage. It's going to be he's going to be able to to kind of fight back against the machines. I thought that was really, 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 really strong. Um, who are you giving your MVP to, mate? I was going to say the only one thing, right? Go the on. only one Go thing on. that if the film had been slightly longer, I would have liked to have seen them expand on more is um, what's the name of the scientist who actually creates Skynet? Miles. Oh, Miles Dyson. Miles Dyson, if if we had more Miles Dyson reflecting on what it is that he's created, what he's supposed to have done, that he's the father of this genocidal machine. Like, because we, we touched on that was a bit. Great. It was really, I felt like there it could have good. been a bit more in that. That's what I'm saying. Do you know what I mean? Just if there was a bit more room to expand on him really kind of like opening on like his mind to the philosophy of everything that's gone on. It's, well, it's interesting. But they do a strange voiceover with that, don't they? Yeah. It's like we sat there for ages talking about it. <laughs> so exactly. Let us exactly. listen to something. <laughs> but then I guess, you know, you're going to end up having a film like Oppenheimer if you really want to go into the, yeah, the inner true. workings of somebody that's created a, a machine like that. But it, it, before I sort of really interrupted that, the MVP, I mean, come on, it's one person. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. He is the MVP. Be the big guy. But I guy. do have to say, standout performer by far, like Linda Hamilton is, I mean, Patrick Stewart is great, but Linda Hamilton in this is exceptional, I think. Like, you believe her, her, uh, uh, her like, her hatred of the machine and everything that it is and how it's taken her life away from her. You just believe it so well. It's, it, I think she's, like, brilliant in this film. And it's, it's, it's great seeing, like, an action movie give not only a woman but give her the room to kind of expand on the character because in the original one really sarah connor she's the damsel in distress yeah do you know yeah, what yeah. i mean Big and seeing change. it like flip to this like you say to being this kind of like jacked like just like terminator like figure who is just completely like fueled by hatred is is brilliant and she she absolutely nails it for me yeah, she's amazing. And I'd like, yeah, for me, just Robert Patrick, it, it, just if he wasn't surrounded by two absolute titans going at yeah. it, I think he would be easily at their big assist from him. Um, uh, IMDb? Let's do it. So Terminator 2 on IMDb. You're going to be happy with this one, big boy. 8.6 on Love IMDb. It's got to be, and I mean, that. for IMDb, that is massive. That's like, big, we isn't know it? how... You know what they're like with their ratings. Right, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Rotten Tomatoes, certified fresh, 91%, oh, 95% from the audience. Bingo, bango. It's got to be, hasn't it? Love that. Just a little addition as well. Number 31 on the IMDb Top 250. Wee. Not 31. bad. Yeah, not bad. Metascore, again, Metascore, you know, they're so bipolar with their ratings. Metascore, 75%, no badge either on Metacritic. 
That's nonsense, so, man. Not happening. Yeah, abs- oh, it's absolutely nonsense. Yeah, uh, boy, uh, what else, that, that's what Fergie would give that, really. Absolutely <laughs> nonsense. nonsense score. Absolutely um, nonsense. Okay, and then the big question, mate. What are we watching next week? So the big question is, right, and it's, it's, it's actually good that this pot has gone the way that it has because I feel that we've only scratched on the surface of a certain element of this movie. Um, I was tossing up whether or not I could follow Terminator 2 with this film. But like I say, I think we can because we're on something here and I, I like this conversation and I want to extend it. I'm slightly, I'm cheating slightly, but we've already done it with Whiplash. I'm cheating slightly because the movie isn't quite 10 years plus older. It's nine years old, but I'm going with the film Ex Machina. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say that. Yes, mate, yes. One of my absolute favourites. Right, and do you see what I'm saying? Because I feel like we've we've touched on stuff here that we haven't quite fully expanded on. And I think it... This is a good jump-off point for this. So, oh, and we're, we're also going to talk through one of the greatest dance scenes in any film ever. Challenges Pulp Fiction for me. Oof, 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 oof. It's a big I shout, won't mate. say anymore. I won't say anymore. But I'm going to send you a link now to an extended version of that, and it is so good, nice. so good. Um, mate, what a pleasure! And I'm sorry to cut us short because we could have gone on for another hour here. Yeah, definitely. I didn't even get to talk about when they go into the future and you see the Terminator stepping on all the skeletons and stuff. It's so eerie. It's so well done. But get some comments in, and we'll do it at the beginning of the next one, guys. Um, Yeah. But thank you so much for listening as ever at BYOB Pod on the socials. Um, Yeah, we'll get in touch. We'll take some of your comments, and we'll see you all for the next one, which will be Ex Machina. Get in.